0: We continue through James this morning. We are in chapter 4, the the last portion here of chapter 4. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we prepare to look at God's word? Heavenly Father, we ask that you bring your Holy Spirit upon us. It's the only way we're going to understand your word. I understand, I mean let it penetrate deeply into our hearts and our minds and our very beings. That, that your word would flow in all of our actions, in all of our attitudes, and all of the words that come from our mouths. That all of our life would be lived to your glory and purposes. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. And if you sensed some, some magical interaction during that four-handed duet, that is Robert's sister. Uh, she has come from all the way from Switzerland to play with us today. Okay? So we're grateful for her. Mm-hmm. All right, James, in the first portion of James chapter 4, he talked about the need for humility. You want more grace than, than be more humble. That's, that's basically what he said. Now he turns to the subject of humility, and he applies it specifically towards the future. Towards the future. He's confronting what he talks about as arrogance here, or an arrogant uh an arrogant spirit that he had observed within the churches uh, that he is writing to. And although they professed to know Christ, they were living in worldliness. They were living in an attitude that put the thoughts, the priorities, and the ways and means of the world before our Heavenly Father. So James tells, tells us we can't be absolutely sure of tomorrow. Now, <clears throat> Um, I'm sure we all have our calendars, or maybe it's on your phone or electronic, what you plan to do. James is, and I'll repeat this a couple times, James is not saying don't plan for tomorrow. He says don't plan in arrogance for tomorrow. If you're going to plan for tomorrow, do so with an eyes, with eyes and a mind towards our Heavenly Father and what he has for us and how everything belongs to him including our time including our schedules so we are contrasting here what James is finding in the church earthly wisdom versus heavenly wisdom so the people that James seems to be uh, talking to in specific specifically here would be merchants or those who are maybe perhaps the wealthier Christians remember the church in the first century was made up um, in a majority sense of the poor and of the lower classes but there were some of the rich who were there as well so maybe he's referring to these merchants here and, and being merchant is not good or bad here buying or selling is not good or bad it's listed here when business is good merchants prosper but to disregard God in the midst of this is then to show that making money becomes more important than obedience to our Heavenly Father. Remember, you cannot add one minute to your life other than what has been laid out by our Lord. He has numbered our days. knows the hair on our head, the words before we speak them. He has numbered our days down to the very last second. And we are to live all of those days to his purposes and for his glory. So as we pursue our livelihoods and as we seek to make the best use of all he has given to us, we have to keep his sovereign will in mind and understand what is eternal. So the businessmen were not keeping the eternal things or the sovereignty or the providence of God in mind. They were simply arrogantly assuming that they had the control over their own destinies. Now, that is the American way. You lift yourself up by your bootstraps and and make your way, and and that's the way we think. But as believers, we understand that is under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. And we think, yeah, I'm going this way and I'm going to do this. But we always have to be ready for him to say, oh, Rand, I want you to do this. Well, Lord, I really didn't plan on that. Um, uh, You know, I've got other plans. He said, no, this is where you're going to go because this is what I have in store for you. So the, these individuals were presuming about their business ventures about tomorrow even um, and not giving any, any thought to what the Lord may have uh, and, and we have no really control ultimately over tomorrow because only the Lord knows tomorrow. Now when we say that he is omnipresent, he is present everywhere and typically we, try, we usually think about that as being everywhere present in the world right now. But omnipresence also applies to time. He knows tomorrow, he knows today. So it's not only that he knows tomorrow, but he's had his perfect will is being carried out in what will happen tomorrow, or next month, or next year, or 2,000 years from now. That is also his omnipresence through time. Now, think of the days of Noah when we think about those who thought I control tomorrow. I'm going to quote from Matthew. For as those in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So they're not being faulted for eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. But they're faulted for not having any concept of God in those things and in their planning people in Noah's days the merchants that James may be referring to here are the same possession of wealth wise planning for the future is not being condemned here Um, it is doing those things outside the wise stewardship of our heavenly father now He's pointing to the idea, this is James, pointing to the idea that, that those things really bring us no security, real security. Now, I just went back in time and looked. There have been 48 recessions, panics, or depressions in the United States since the Great Panic of 1785. You remember that, right? Uh, yeah. okay. uh, so the average recession lasts 17 months, and the average time between recessions is five years. So this shows us, that, that the wealth and the things that we accumulate can easily be taken away from us. How much has your uh, investments or retirement fund lost in the last two years? Uh, it's easy to track that now. So we've seen in recent history that entire fortunes, entire plans that we have made for the future can be wiped out very quickly. So we have to really trust all that we have into the future of the future into the hands of the Lord who determines, he alone determines what will come to pass. So he's not condemning those who plan, nor is he to make plans, but nor is he condemning those who don't keep in mind the the statement that he makes here, if the Lord wills. Now, if the Lord wills is not a magic formula. Okay, this is not something that Christians are just to tack on to the end of whatever we decide and, and say that. Well, I'm, guarant- I'm guaranteed to trust in God's providence because I've said if the Lord wills. James is speaking to prac He's not speaking to practices. He's speaking to the heart here. So all that he is warning about, all that he is is saying this is bad comes from the attitude of the heart, not necessarily the practices. That we're looking at here. Um, So uh, ultimately, we don't know the future. And God only God knows the future. That's what he is saying here. So if we pride, if our pride makes plans as if we are the masters of our own destinies, and if God does not exist, then that is arrogance. That is arrogance. So apparently, James had heard this type of talk in his audience. and not only arrogance, this shows a, both a practical, maybe even a temporary atheism. Where we think, you know, I believe in God and, and all these things, and I'm going to trust in him. But I, except in this area, which, you know, I think I can handle God, I'm going to go and do. And, and that's a problem. Practical atheism, or even temporary atheism, um, is, is very dangerous. Because it discounts god's providence so let me give you a definition of providence it's a word that we, the reformed believers reuse it's we find it uh, laid out in scripture for us um, in a variety of ways now the english term providence is broken down into pro which means before vita which means see so to see before and so divine providence refers to god's foresight in a temporal sense looking down the road So God sees and knows the future, but it's not as if he says, Oh, Randy's going to do this in the future, so I need to to do this to have it ready for Randy. That's not what God's providence and his foresight is about. Because God, it declares that God has declared everything from the beginning. He declares the very end of things from the very beginning of things, Isaiah 46 This foresight is not a passive knowledge. It's not like, oh, that's what they're going to do. That's fine. That's their business. No, it is a knowledge that determines, okay, that determines in accordance with his perfect will. So his knowledge of the future comes from this foreordination of whatever will come to pass. He works out everything within the counsel of his will, Ephesians chapter 1, which means he establishes whatever happens. Now we think about that and go, well, then am I just uh God's little robot carrying out whatever he wants me to do? Well, that's not the way that his will works in providence. He looks down the road and he foreordains what his will desires, what is perfect and right and just. And then in our working out of our desires, Relative to what I'm going to do and and this is always the easiest one Uh, and I always pick this one because I'm a creature of habit the Lord had foreordained what tie I was going to wear this morning now you think oh well that's not a big thing but yet everything is foreordained by the Lord but did I choose this tie yes now I could have chosen other ties but why did I choose this one well a creature of habit I like this tie I'm going to wear it okay this, as, as an aside, this is my oldest tie, okay? <laughs> so just, just so I like it, so I keep, I keep it, you know, but did God foreordain that? Yes, he did. Did I make that cho- choice of my own free will? I did. Those two things may sound like they're at opposite ends, but yet my choices only fulfill what God has laid out. He did not make me do that, he did not make me choose the tie, but yet I chose it, it furthers his perfect will so let's look back at the passage verse 13 come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go and do such and such time is in the lord's hands he stands outside of time and he is the god of time now james is not talking to non-believers here Because he would expect non-believers not to take into consideration the Lord and and anything about the Lord in their planning. He's talking to believers who are not factoring in the existence of God, his providence, etc. in all that they do. This is practical atheism. So is this kind of planning for the future sinful? Is it something immoral to say, well we're going to travel next month so I need to make reservations we all like to make reservations so that when we get to the hotel they go oh Mr. Jenkins I don't know who you are and we don't have a room for you no I would like to get there and walk in and have a room do we is it sinful to say in a business I want to go open this area and we're going to pursue this no of course not every businessman would say those things are acceptable they're not in and of themselves immoral in any way no principles no spiritual practices are violated in, in fact, most businesses are well aware of the unpredictability of things and and the necessity to plan and to 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 try to reach expectations. Um, if you have uh, investments, um, then you know that you get these booklets that tell you uh, every month about expected uh, earnings and, and how much they are doing and where everything is and you know it's, it's not my area so um, uh, I get them and they go in the trash uh, but I get them and, and they tell me the, what they're expected to do over the next quarter or so and it, it often states and this is I just quoted from one of the things that I get in the mail our stock price may fluctuate based on the factors beyond our control okay uh, yes it will <laughs> okay <laughs> So corporations and and investment firms are highly attuned to the unexpected things, the fluctuations that may happen. We don't particularly like fluctuations, but they are ready for them, apparently. Uh, So it is good practice to plan, but to plan under the rubric that God has his will, and it will happen. So the issue here is not necessarily what is said so much as what is not said. And what is not said reveals the real problem that James is talking about. No mention of God in their plans. It is foolishness to ignore the will of God in our plans. Do we know the will of God? You know, it would be great if every morning, you know, we went to bed with a blank sheet of paper at night. And every morning that God had, just like Daniel in the writing on the wall, put his finger down and and laid out our plans for the day. Now that would be good. Okay, now you may go and go, oh, I really didn't want to do that today, Lord. Can I do something else? No, this is the plan, okay, and you need to address that, but he doesn't. He gives us these, these greater purposes and things in his word, and then we have to work those out each and every day. How is my life to give glory to God? How can I give glory to God in my business practices? How can I give glory to God in my marriage? How can I give glory to God raising my children? How can I give glory to God in my personal leisure time? Those are all what we should be focusing upon. What will tomorrow bring? Well, I don't know what tomorrow brings. I've got my plans, but is God convinced about my plans? No, he is not. Okay. Ecclesiastes, and that's what James is kind of referencing here when he says we're really just vapor. Okay, We're here a little bit and then we're gone a little bit. Uh, Life is short and pursuing material blessings and the things of this world. Remember Solomon basically said, been there, done that, didn't find any joy in it. Didn't find any fulfillment in it. And this was a guy who had everything that you can imagine in this world. The merchants have not asked about the meaning of life, not asked about the length of life, Proverbs 27. Um, They talk about the future as if they have absolute control over it. There was a guy in the Old Testament who stood on on, on top of his palace one day, and he said, look at what I have created. Look at this world which I have built. Remember, his name was Nebuchadnezzar, okay? Is this not the Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? That's chapter 4, verse 30. In 31, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it upon whomever he wishes. Seven years he went. the king went out in the field And ate grass like a cow. There's a psychological disorder that is associated with that. But it seems very clearly that the Lord put this upon him. And at the end of the seven years, it says, And the king came to his senses. Perhaps the Lord is true. Perhaps he is right. Perhaps this is not to my glory. But he has enabled me to do all of this. Psalm 90, Moses is writing. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. It is a mist. We're here for a little bit and then we're gone from here. But if you're in Christ, then your life is eternal in him. So James chapter four tells us the right attitude. If the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. So some churches uh, and, and uh, kind of use it as a cliche, and people perhaps you've heard people say at the end of every sentence almost, uh, Well, if the Lord wills, or in Pennsylvania, it's if the Lord wills and the crick don't rise. That's what we used to say, okay? We repeat it after every, every phrase almost as if it's a guarantee that we understand and accept God's providence. So he isn't just saying that Lord willing. You know creates a mindset, anything like that um, it doesn 't guarantee the right attitude of our hearts, but that is the in a sense the rubric under which all of existence is: If God wills this, we will do it, and we will prosper in it it 's not a formula in the new testament it 's not laid out there it 's not a theological safety net to guarantee that the lord 's going to put his rubber stamp of approval on whatever decisions we make. Everything belongs to our Heavenly Father, even tomorrow. So the Scottish churchman, Horatio Bonner, in a hymn says, in the hymn titled, Fill Thou My Life, O Lord My God. He writes, No part of day or night from sacredness be free, but all my life in every step be fellowship with thee. We can't just have his lordship on Sunday morning. We can't just have his lordship when we want it yes he is lord of all things lord of our entire lives look at verse 16 as it is you boast in your arrogance you boast in the fact that you think you can do everything that you are the end and means of all things unto yourself and all such boasting is evil the only thing that we can boast in is our weakness. Turn over to 2nd Corinthians chapter 11. 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 right at the end of the chapter and then into chapter 12. Now apparently in James the merchants were successful. Good for them okay but this led to them to boast in their own abilities. Bad for them. Okay, You have to remember If you belong to the Lord, he receives the glory. Bragging about personal accomplishments really is unacceptable. You can state the fact. But who do you belong to ultimately? Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. Now, that runs contrary to the American way and our sinful hearts. Why do I want to boast in what I'm weak in? But that's what Paul says. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ Who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. This is Paul writing about himself. But he doesn't want to say himself there. Whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told. Which man may not utter. Now just stop there and think. If that happened to you today. What would be the natural inclination ...of the human heart to do. I'd be writing books. Okay, they put me on Oprah. You know, is she still on TV? I don't know. Uh, but I'd be writing books, doing the circuit. I'd be doing all those things and boasting about... ...hey, I've spent some time in heaven. Ooh, On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast... ...except of my weakness. Though, if I should wish to boast... I would not be a fool for I would be speaking the truth but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears in me. And then jump down to verse 9 or verse 8. Three times because of this thorn in the flesh that Satan has sent a messenger to harass me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. But he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect. In weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest in me. The power of God is made, not made perfect in your life until you are weak. Then it can be demonstrated. And and I just think of so many of the great missionaries who went out throughout the world in the gospel, and the world would not have picked them to be successful. Such was their weakness. Such was the success that the Lord brought upon them. So we come to the last verse here in James. And this is probably, from what we can see, probably kind of a proverbial statement of the first century. And this is one of those places that we have uh, come up with the concept of sins of commission and sins of omission. Verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him It is sin Um, this is a really a stern warning about neglect about neglect whether it be sins of commission or omission when we ignore God when we make our own plans when we brag about it when we neglect to do the good we know we should do think of the good Samaritan the three guys that passed by him knew passed by the guy that that had been beaten The, the first two knew they should have stopped but I had other things to do. And along comes the Samaritan, the least likely to care for him. And the rich man and Lazarus. And and Lazarus sat outside his house looking for the crumbs from his table. But yet, the rich man gave him nothing. So Jesus condemns those who don't help the poor. Sins of omission. I know I should help that guy. I'm just fed up, so I'm going to pass him by. That's a sin of omission. They're particularly acute because of worldliness and a lack of humility. We fail to do what God commands us to do. So James is talking about the guy who knows what to do and knows what he must do, but he doesn't do it. Okay, But he doesn't do it. Now he's not talking about ignorance. Well, I had no idea. That's what I was supposed to do. Now ignorance is, you can't plead ignorance before the Lord, but for those who know what is right and don't do it, apparently from the word, their punishment is worse. It is worse. First Samuel says in, in his, in a sense, retirement address, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Ceasing to pray for someone. Apparently, Samuel thinks that's sin. So James is talking to the person who knows there's a God. Who knows God's will is supreme. And yet he just flat out doesn't do it. That is everybody at some point in our lives. We have all known this is what I should do. But I'm not going to do it. And we go do what our heart wants to do. Remember the parable of Luke chapter 12. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating, he will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. From him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand much more. Luke chapter 12. What's the perfect illustration of somebody who knew what God's will was and didn't do it. I mean, somebody who had been told by the Lord Himself what to do. A guy named Jonah. <laughs> I want you to go here. Great, I'm going here. Okay, <laughs> I'm going in the other direction because I know your will, and I'm not gonna do it. God had His way with Jonah, and He did do His will. So let's let's review. In the fact. In view of the fact that life is a vapor, that God is sovereign, that our pride is a constant battle within us, that humble obedience to God's will is the path every believer should follow, think about what God wants you to accomplish for eternity. What does he have for you to do that is... In a sense, eternal. For those things which are eternal. He didn't put you here, he didn't put me here, just to make sure that we pass on an inheritance to our children. Yes, that's part of the plan, is to pass on an inheritance to our children. But you know, we might scrimp and save all of our lives and pass on this great inheritance to our kids. And they blow it on seven trips to Bermuda and two new Porsches. And it's gone. Okay? we'll we'll be gone it won't be an issue for us but God has put you here for his glory and when you have the opportunity to do things or invest in things that will leave a lasting legacy for the gospel for the things of the kingdom then we ought to do it then we ought to do it I think of the people however many years ago who said you know what central needs a church 1812 Central needs a Presbyterian church, so they planted this church. And then those who invested in building the first sanctuary that was here, and then this sanctuary, 1899. We think, well, well, what did that cost them? But they, we stand on their shoulders because they invested in eternity. So where does the Lord call you to invest your time, your resources, for the things which are eternal? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we don't want to miss out doing your will because we just just don't want to do it. Your will is to do the things that bring you glory, whether it be in our families, whether it be in our places of work, whether it be in those circle of friends that we have who can influence or for even larger things that that will be around a lot longer than than we are here lord each of us will leave this legacy by what we do and by what we left undone we want to leave a legacy by those things we did for you We want to walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before us who did that same thing. And we want those who come after us to be able to walk in our footsteps because they saw that we did what you commanded. Not that we paid no attention to it. Not that we paid no attention to your glory and purposes. But in all that we did, an understanding of you your providence your sovereign control over all things and the blessings that you rain down upon us we use them for your purposes speak to our hearts today lord we pray that our eyes would be open to what you have each of us to do we pray this in christ's name amen